Ion 2020 episode 265. Have 2020 Vision with Ion 2020, your source for the news and events in the lead-up to the 2020 presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date daily until November 2020 with a libertarian perspective on the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for joining me. Now let's clear our vision. Holy cow, what a uh, slugfest they had at the Democratic debate the other night. It actually got out of hand a couple of times. It was, uh, at the minimum, entertaining to watch. That's, that's what I would say about it. It was entertaining to watch. And I usually have not been sitting down dealing with these debates because they've been the same old, same old the entire time. And it's pretty annoying. But you can tell the candidates are getting desperate. They are getting desperate. And it was a slugfest. Like, there was... Uh, very limited control by the moderators. The moderators didn't seem like they prepared too much. They're probably the reason why the moderators did not prepare that much, I'm pretty sure, is because I'm certain in their minds they were just sitting there thinking to themselves, oh my god, I have to deal with this junk again and another another stinking uh debate. You know, like that's all they were thinking, I'm sure. And because of that, they didn't seem like they prepared that well with the questions they didn't have very much control over the the candidates up there there were seven of them up there at the, the other day as well and it was just you know just this banter back and forth everyone talking over each other there was a point during the debate where it was probably like three to four minutes of joe biden no bernie sanders sorry talking and pete Buttigieg talking at the same time neither of them would stop the moderators were not forceful in telling them to stop, and it just went on and on, and you can't understand either of them. You have Bernie Sanders supporters clapping for him and cheering. You have Buttigieg supporters cheering for them as well, or for him as well, and it was literally just, it was really just chaos, and that happened on multiple occasions during the debate. So it wasn't even really good viewing unless you... I mean, if you're like a hardcore Democrat that really wants to hear the issues and you just really want to see, you know, your candidate win or something like that, like you did not see that at this debate. You didn't get the issues at this debate, which the issues, they've hashed those out 150 times over the last, you know, nine months since they started doing debates or seven months since they started doing debates. So it's not even really that big of a deal to hash out the issues you know where Elizabeth Warren stands on pretty much every issue. You know where Joe Biden stands on every issue. You know where he's coming to market from. You know where Bernie Sanders is. So you didn't need to hear all that stuff. You needed to hear somebody step up and say, I'm the person that can beat Trump. You needed someone that can forcefully get that message out there. And that's all you really needed in this situation. Uh, And I think that... From the pure entertainment standpoint of somebody looking at it from an outside view like myself, uh, since I am a libertarian, I don't follow their political views. I can't stand their political views. Um, it's hard for even for me to even watch these things sometimes. And the reason why I do it 
it's because I have this show, but I just, I, I, sometimes I feel like I need to scream at the TV. But if you're like someone on the outside looking in, you look at it and you say, wow, that was at least minimally entertaining, uh, laughing at these people because they just all seemed so darn desperate. That's all I got out of it is that there was just this desperation. So let me get into the candidates and uh, talk to you about that. So I'll start off with Elizabeth Warren, okay? Now let me, let me do this. I'll start off with uh, Joe Biden and then I'll move on to... Uh, to Bernie Sanders, and then I'll move on to uh, Elizabeth Warren, right? And uh, we'll talk a little bit about um, Michael Bloomberg as well. But, you know, I'll start with Michael Bloomberg, actually, because that's that's the there was a lot of fighting going on with Michael Bloomberg. He's a billionaire. He's trying to buy the election. Uh, that's what they kept on saying. And he seemed like he did better than he did in the, in the last debate like he got prepared for some of these questions uh his main pitch and he said it multiple times throughout it is i have the resources i have the record and i have the energy to go out there and beat donald trump and that is a direct uh, oh and he's a moderate <clears throat> so that's a direct uh, reproach on like several of the candidates as well and he would get into these arguments with bernie sanders because he kept saying if Bernie Sanders is the nominee, we're not going to win. We can't beat Donald Trump with Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders cannot beat Donald Trump. Then Bernie would say, in all these exit polls, or in all these polls that are across America, I beat Joe Biden, or not Joe Biden, I beat um, Donald Trump by several points and everything else. And he states, I can still beat him. So Joe Biden's making this argument, and um, and everyone else pretty much on the stage is making the argument that that Bernie Sanders can't beat Donald Trump and that, you know, he's a socialist and everything else. So you have Michael Bloomberg attacking, constantly attacking um, Bernie Sanders consistently. Just that's all that's all they really did. And a lot that's pretty much all the candidates were just it was like a beat up fest on Bernie Sanders because of his communist views, because of his democratic socialist views, I guess you'll have to call it because of his defending people like uh, people like Fidel Castro defending different dictators in the different countries that were part of a revolution, you know, this revolutionary idea in the 60s and 70s. So they he, they were attacking Bernie Sanders on his defense of some of those people, and then they were they just kept on attacking Bernie Sanders over and over again. And every single time that Michael Bloomberg would say something to the effect of I can get it done. I have the resources to do it. I'm a moderate. I'm somebody that the people can believe in. I'm someone that the people can get behind. I can bring moderate independence to the table to vote against Donald Trump. And then Bernie Sanders can't do it. So they'd be in the midst of an argument. And then Elizabeth Warren would chip up. And this is where I'm getting on Elizabeth Warren because it's so funny the way she is, right? Like they'll be talking about... They'll be talking about health care. And uh, her first line is always, we have, a, we have a terrible, terrible thing going on in health care right now. I went to a family and I talked to these people in my, uh, in my selfie lines and all these people would just say how terrible health care is in America right now and that they need us to fix it and da-da-da-da. Like every single line, oh, child care, same thing. There is a 
terrible crisis going on in childcare right now. The first four years, families are dying, or families are starving to death because they can't pay for their children's childcare and early adolescence. And we need to fix this. And I talk to people on my selfie lines, and they tell me this. Like every single time she comes up with any line, and I, she's like the consummate politician, is what it is. They always have a story about all these poor people that are coming to her asking her to fix things. They always have a story about how there's a crisis going on in every single sector of every single part of the economy or every single part of people's lives. Yeah, there's crises going on in everyone. There's a crisis for cars, for lack of vehicles, because there's people out there that don't have a car, right? There's a transportation crisis because there's people that maybe live off of a bus route and they can't get to, they have to walk five miles to get to a bus route because they don't have a car. There's crises on everything in America if you want to call it a crisis. And that's what she refers to, everything as a crisis. There's a crisis in healthcare in America. There's a crisis in health insurance in America. There's a college affordability crisis going on in America right now. And they, you know, there's people lining up in my selfie lines. Like, she keeps on saying that over and over again. But... She came off pretty strong in that view. Like, she came off pretty strong during the debate. They call her one of the winners of the debate, even though it's a little little too, or too little too late in that sense, right? But they said they, that she came off as the winner because she was able to position herself very well in the middle of the arguments between the extreme moderate, so-called extreme moderate anyway, Michael Bloomberg, and the extreme progressive extreme, you know, democratic socialist and Bernie Sanders, the guy that's unelectable and the guy that's trying to position himself as being electable. And Elizabeth Warren was right there in the middle, able to kind of look like the reasonable one in the crowd. It was, it was interesting the way that she did it. And I'm not supporting the lady by any means. You guys know how I feel about all of her views. Like she even was able to position in the midst of a lot of these arguments, she was able to position her uh, wealth tax as a as a positive thing. Like she was saying, that's why we need a wealth tax. It's only one to two pennies on people on these billionaires. On but she doesn't position it as oh they have to sell off one to two percent of their stocks that are in Amazon.com or anything like that. Like all these multi-billionaires, their wealth is pretty much wrapped up in the companies that they have. Like, she doesn't talk about that. And the destruction of capital and the destruction of the economy that that can possibly do. So, but nobody challenges her on those things either. And that's the thing. Like, nobody on that stage is willing to challenge her on those things because they all secretly believe that stuff too. They really do. So that was the big, that was pretty much the big arguments that were going on throughout the debate. Pete Buttigieg tries to challenge... Uh, he tries to challenge uh, Bernie Sanders several times. It sort of came off as flat. He did get one like round of applause. I can't remember what it was, but he was talking. He was talking to Bernie Sanders and calling him him out as unelectable and something that that just can't beat Donald Trump. And that was the point where the two of them got into that long heated argument for like three or four minutes on the stage. Um, but yeah, if you like a slugfest, you know, you would have kind of 
enjoyed watching it. So here's what we were, here's what the rankings were on that debate then, okay? If you're going to rank them on who it helped and who it hurt, it was in South Carolina. So the purpose of it was to have a South Carolina debate right before the South Carolina primary, which is on Saturday. So you're listening to this on Thursday, so in two days, if you're listening to this on Thursday at the end of February, uh, then you'll be seeing this debate or you'll be seeing the primary happen on Saturday. If you are listening after Saturday, then it already happened. But the reason why they're having the debate is because they're having the South Carolina primary uh, this weekend. So what these people are trying to do is they're just trying to get the votes up. So they're trying to do something that will help them out in order to get the votes in South Carolina. And in South Carolina... Like, a lot of the demographic in South Carolina that are going to vote Democrat are going to be African Americans, right? So they're trying to propose, they're trying to sway the African American vote in some way, along with the other Democrats in the state some way, in order to get them to vote for them in the primary. So who did it help? Who did it hurt? I don't think it helped or hurt anybody, this debate. I really don't. I think that it was more entertainment in some way about all these people looking really desperate so the person on the outside looking in that's a democrat or that's a libertarian we look at it and say look at the chaos that's going on there um all these candidates stink the republicans are like ha 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 look at them uh it's a win for us donald trump is the winner in this thing that's what they're saying and then for the democrats joe biden probably came off the best yeah he had a few little things where he's like 150 million people die from gun violence uh, since 2009 or something like that. That, I mean, or, or 2016, we've had 150 million people die. It was probably 150,000, but he said 150 million. Uh, so he had a gaffe here and there. I saw some memes that came up about that. But let's be honest, that doesn't hurt him. Um, I really do think that he kind of solidified his support in South Carolina because he came off pretty confident and strong in the idea that I have the record to prove that I can beat Donald Trump. I'm the guy up here that has the the ability to beat Donald Trump. I have the um, the right views to beat Donald Trump. And Barack Obama and I did a lot in this country and from 2008 to 2016 that y'all love and let's continue that. Like, that's pretty much his message. Let's get back to the days of Barack Obama, and I'm that guy. So that's the case that he's making, and I think that he won on that. I really do. I think that the debate didn't hurt him, so it only helped him. And it actually helped him a little bit, because if you were if you were looking at him, he came off relatively strong. Although there was a few gaffes. Amy Klobuchar, eh, she had a subpar performance. They were looking for her to have some kind of great performance like she did in New Hampshire that's going to help her to get some votes. I'm willing to bet you by Monday she drops out. Then you had Pete Buttigieg. I just didn't see any traction from that guy in the South Carolina or in the South Carolina debate. He didn't really come off. He comes off, he always comes off, by the way, as a very intelligent person. He always comes off as somebody who knows the stuff. He he 
he has the answers to the questions because he's been well rehearsed. He's been well rehearsed since when I started saying this in June or July of last year that he's so well rehearsed, he has people behind him that are like just pushing him forward. And uh, Tucker Carlson actually said the other day, he was calling him like the Lego candidate because they kind of pieced him together as the as the guy. Like he's an outsider because he's not in Washington. He has the military credentials because he was a veteran. He, you know, he did a tour, a, I guess a tour over in Afghanistan or something. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then he's also has the executive experience because he's a mayor. Eh, that's not really much. Um, and that he's gay, so he's like, you know, not just a normal, you know, m- middle class white guy per se. Like, there's a couple things that he is that Democrats are going to like. And to get that broad appeal about among the American public, especially like the fence-sitting Republicans and the and the people that are like patriotic who want to vote for a veteran or something. So he has a lot of those things. So maybe that's the reason why he was pushed forward. I don't know. But I do think that he might be prime, like a prime candidate for the vice presidency now. If he doesn't do well in su- on Super Tuesday, that's going to be the key. That's going to decide. That's going to be the deciding factor for Pete Buttigieg, is if he does well during Super Tuesday and picks up a bunch of delegates. Because like, he wins Iowa, he does well in New Hampshire, he does okay subpar in Nevada. He does. Let's say he does, gets second or third place in South Carolina, and that propels him towards a better Super Tuesday showing. Like, if he doesn't do well on Super Tuesday, then he's probably going to have to drop out as well. So, that's so so far it was, you know, Amy Klobuchar will be gone. Pete Buttigieg, he has to, he, he's, you know, neck and neck with Bernie Sanders right now. But I'm pretty sure Joe Biden's going to win South Carolina. That's what the polls are saying, and he's been very strong in South Carolina. So, we'll see how that goes. But let's say Pete Buttigieg pulls out a hat trick, man, and happens to win South Carolina. Then, then it's on for Pete Buttigieg. He will... Can pick up lots of delegates during Super Tuesday, definitely. And then you have um, Bernie Sanders. It didn't hurt him or help him because he has his strong following. The people that will not, not go off that plant. Not not the plantation. Sorry, that sounds bad. They will not go off the Bernie Sanders train. We'll, we'll call it that. The train. He will not jump up. They will not jump off Bernie's train at all. Like, they love Bernie Sanders. They are supporting Bernie Sanders. They're getting behind Bernie Sanders. And that's 50% of Democrats that can be in that situation because 50% of them voted for for him in 2016 when he was running against Hillary. So 50% of the Democrats support Bernie Sanders in some way or those types of political views. But they have other choices in Elizabeth Warren. If Elizabeth Warren got out, Bernie Sanders would jump up to 45%. Almost every single time. <clears throat> I don't know if you guys remember, but last year, if you were listening to the show back then, um, it is allergy season in South Carolina, so I apologize that, um, you know, <laughs> if you hear any coughing in the background and stuff. But yeah, so uh, 50% will probably vote for Bernie Sanders. So if she just dropped out, they would go towards her. And a lot of Pete Buttigieg's followers would, followers would drop out or if he dropped out, would go towards Bernie as well. 
be like a 50-50 split, I think, on that. But it did not hurt Bernie Sanders at all. Because his followers are his followers. They love him. They care about him. They think that he's the greatest. Kind of like a, you know, a Ron Paul moment in the Democratic primary. But Bernie's getting way more support overall than Ron Paul did um, in, in a sense. But he's getting treated kind of like, like the way that Ron Paul did by the Republicans. Because they're trying to push him out. They're trying to say that he can't win. I kind of root for him because of that, because I just think it's just going to be hilarious when he gets the nomination and all of the, you know, establishment Democrats are like, he can't win, he can't be, you know, he can't get it. And it'll be even more funny if Bloomberg gets the nomination and Bernie Sanders has to throw his support behind, you know, a multi-billionaire. He has to endorse a multi-billionaire. That'll be funny too. Did Bloomberg get hurt? Dude, he has millions of dollars, man. He's not going anywhere. He has hundreds of million dollars he's going to throw at this thing. He is going to light up the airwaves in those Super Tuesday states to make sure that he wins some of them. And he probably will win quite a few of them. And I think that that'll propel him towards uh, maybe a front-runner status as well. We'll see what happens with him, though. I mean, he's, he's got the money. He, and I honestly don't think that a lot of the people in these states are really going to be watching these debates. They're going to hear, you know, what's said about it, but they still get to see these commercials constantly that Bloomberg's running, and uh, those will definitely sway public opinion. They already have. He went two months ago, not even in the, in the race, to 19, 20, 21% in a lot of these states. So that'll help him. That'll definitely help him. Super Tuesday, um, the debate did not hurt him at all. Joe Biden didn't hurt him too much either. Like I said, it pretty much helped him. Um, But Amy Klobuchar, man, she's pretty much the one that's going to be gone. Oh, Tom Steyer, sorry. Tom Steyer, not necessarily a winner, not necessarily a loser. Um, He has a bunch of money that he's throwing at it as well. But he has to make a stand in South Carolina. I think that's where he spent most of his money at. Uh, That was his goal, was to win South Carolina. So we'll see if he... Uh, gets a lot of delegates in South Carolina. It seems like he was pulling a lot of people away from uh, Joe Biden. But um, the funniest thing about the debate with him, he was kind of like just like a footnote in the debate. But whenever he would talk, he would be shaking his head up and down, up and down, up and down. And it looked really freaking funny. I bet there's some YouTube videos of this guy uh, shaking his head up and down talking. You ever have your mom yell at you and lecture you and she's shaking her head up and down and pointing her finger at you? that's what he looked like and it was really annoying so um yeah that was that was absolutely terrible debate performance from him and that was pretty much it guys that was the debate and uh not much else going on in the election field though um that's pretty much all the stuff that's really been going on donald trump has not been getting a lot of hell lately except for uh people are talking about his him uh, for the coronavirus, right? So let's talk about the coronavirus for a minute. Uh, Be ready, man. That thing kills 2% of the people that are out there that get it, but probably not quite 2% because if you really think about it, all of the people that have gotten it, that that have officially gotten, have been tested for it, right? So that's people that are sick enough to go to the doctor. If you're somebody that had mild symptoms of the coronavirus and didn't go to the doctor or just kind of waited it out... um, you most likely got it, got rid of it, and it went away. So let's say 
let's say half of the cases, 88,000 people have gotten it. Let's say half of the cases never went to the doctor and probably more than that never went to the doctors. But let's just use the number of half. So you probably have like a 1% death rate, but still that's a huge amount guys. So if like they're saying most likely you'll have like 500,000 deaths from this over the next, um, over the next couple months, um, maybe even more than that. But I was doing like the math. If it, if it has a half-life where, or not half-life, but if it spreads, if, it, if the number of people that get it doubles every, I think it's every seven days. So you have 88,000 now, next week it'll be 160, or 172,000. And then the, the day after, the next week after that, it'll be, you know, almost 500,000 or 400,000. The next week after that, it'll be 800,000. Next week after that, it'll be, you know, 100 or 1.6 million, I guess. So in that sense, with a 1% death rate, that's going to be a huge amount. It hits America. There's like 67, 70 or 80 cases right now that have gotten it in America. Um, if it starts spreading and stuff like that, just be prepared, man. Um, from a financial standpoint, it's really hit the, hit the stock market and everything. Um, just know that, you know, it's, I guess you just wash your hands and hope and pray or something. I don't know. Um, there's not going to be any type of, um, vaccination for it anytime soon either because uh like there's not going to be a coronavirus shot for at least a year it takes about a year for it to get come to market so um once summer hits um, supposedly like the cases will start going down around like april and may so that'll be good um but with all this stuff going on that's the big criticism of donald trump right now the guy can't do anything right according to the democrats or the republicans everything's everything's hunky-dory and perfect I mean, that's just the, the, it it depends on the lens that you're looking them through. From my standpoint, I would rather the government, um, I don't know, like there's gotta be ways to protect yourself outside of government from like viruses and stuff like that. Uh, I haven't really ever thought about that pro that prospect from air or that idea from a libertarian standpoint. I would love to see some research on that or some um, thoughts on that from like uh, people like Walter Block and people that are like big thinkers with the libertarian movement. But as long as, uh, I don't know, I mean, you could shut down, like for example, in that world, you could shut down airports, you could shut down travel, you can deny people uh, access to your cities and stuff like that if you wanted to from different places. Who knows? I don't want to see a totalitarian state pop up because of some virus or anything like that. Um, like you're having in China where they've locked down like, you know, 500 million people or something in that country. They've shut down the entire country in some ways in order to stop the spread, which most likely it's not going to stop the spread that much. That's what they say. Like for an airborne virus like that, it's really hard to stop the spread of them. So, um, you just have to wait it out in some ways, but it will come to America. Just, you know, make sure that you're prepared. I would say, in some ways, um, I don't know if you need to stock up on food and medicine or anything like that, but just know that if something, you know, if, if Donald Trump wanted to, he could pretty much shut down the American economy and, uh, force everyone to stay at home in some way. Uh, Not that everyone would do it, but you know, it's, um, they could impose curfews. They could impose martial law, whatever. I mean, if that was the case, but I don't think it would come to that. Um, we've only had 50 or 75, 80 cases or something like that in America so far. Um, but only time will tell, right? But just be prepared. Hopefully none of y'all get it. And, uh, if you are, hopefully that you're healthy because it seems like it kills the older people more than it kills the 
younger people, younger, healthy people, uh, people that have like, um, have immune deficiencies and stuff like that. Those are people that are most likely to die from it. So yeah, just, uh, I mean, it's, it's going on right now. If you don't watch the news that much, you wouldn't know that. But, um, somebody like myself, I do pay attention to the news pretty often. I watch the, I watch what's going on and that's kind of like the big news right now, especially when, you know, you lose thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars in investments right now because uh because of the stock market just getting just beat up over this coronavirus so anyway guys uh, i appreciate you listening to the show i really do and uh keep on coming back every single week listening to the show okay i do it monday and thursday for you uh this is a show that focuses from a libertarian perspective on the on the 2020 election I think I'm the only show that's a libertarian show that focuses specifically on the election, and it is my goal to give you guys as much great information as I can from a libertarian perspective on the Democrats, the Republicans, the libertarians. If we start seeing Green Party folks moving in, we'll start talking about them as well. We'll start talking about the other parties. We'll start talking about uh, as much of the political political stuff that's going on over the next year. I don't know what I'm going to do after the election's over, but um, we shall see. Maybe I'll take some ideas from you and uh, see what I should call the show and do as the show then. But until then, keep on listening, okay? Uh, I Am The Empire is the website that I use. Uh, the reason why I call it I Am The Empire is just because America, while some people refer to it as an empire... Um, it's not like an empire in a traditional sense, right? We have a specific borders and we're not trying to like increase our borders and bring new people into America, but in some ways you can call it an empire because we do have a lot of control over the world, um, especially in places where we have military force happening. So for example, we don't need to have military soldiers in England telling them what to do because they're doing what we want them to do. But everywhere where they are not doing what we want them to do. There's military soldiers there, right? Um, or along their borders, there's military. Like there's so, there, We have our military there. And if you're like Russia, who is sort of a adversary in some ways and not doing exactly what we say, then we label them an em- enemy and we try to influence them to do what we want them to do as well through covert actions and things like that. So, and then we also fight these little proxy wars with countries like that also for example what's going on in Syria so um so there is empire-ish type tendencies so my idea with eye on the empire was simply just to um keep an eye on the things that the country does that involve like empire type building and also the internal stuff that goes on in Washington DC as well so that's why I called it that. Um, but yeah, IonTheEmpire.com is the website that I have. And then you could also check me out, IonTheEmpire, on Facebook and on Twitter. Uh, whenever I post on the website, it's usually news articles about foreign policy as well as stuff that's going on domestically. So enjoy those as well. Um, you could go back for months and months and months, and I have lots of great articles that I've found there as well. Um, but besides that, the best thing you can do every single week on Monday and Thursday is to come on back and listen to the show, okay? Uh, My name is Ray Eaton. I appreciate you listening, and uh, come on back next Monday, and you'll have clear vision for 2020.